Amen. Yes, it is uh, so good to have Pastor Matt back. Amen. So thankful. We are grateful for all who led us in his absence, um, but it's a sweet joy to welcome him back and to see his face and just be able to worship with him and be able to be led by him. And um, I do want to just pick up with what he shared as I was just thinking about that even now. Um, you know, sometimes we are so easily consumed by the what he referenced as God things that feel Christian, things that we might should be doing, we feel we should be doing. Um, we allow the busyness of life to creep in and we don't spend that time with the Lord. Um, we're not relying upon the Lord. We're not desperate for the Lord. We aren't um, dependent upon the Lord. And in reality, I know this is my own testimony. It's because we're honestly striving for something much too small. Our dreams are not near big enough. Um, if we would press into all that God has for us to do as his sons and daughters, as his followers, um, to live lives completely committed and sold out to his ways, um, to share his hope and his love with the world around us, um, we can't do that under our own strength, friends. We need the power of God. But so often we get lulled to sleep and we get sort of led astray from needing that power, needing him to work. And it's, quite honestly, it's very easy to just go through the motions, isn't it? It's very easy to just kind of do what the world expects of us, even the Christian world expects of us. And so um, I pray that we would be encouraged by his word to press in even closer to the Lord, believing that God has something for us to do as every single one of us, both individually and corporately as a church. Um, we need the Lord. We need him to move. We can't do that on our own. And when we realize that we are not able to do what we have been called to do under our own strength, that's when we cry out to God. That's when we become desperate for him. When we say to him, I will wait for you to move. All I can do is rely on you. And that's a beautiful place to be. <laughs> that's a beautiful place to be. As I think about that, I know I look around the room and once again, as has uh, become more and more a habit for us as a church, uh, we are out of chairs, out of space, out of air conditioning, um, and uh, all of these things. And I do just want to encourage you, let you know that um, we are uh, striving to make uh, ends. If you're a guest with us, um, no, we're striving to figure out how to fit into this place and um, all that God has. Even this evening, our elders and trustees are going to be meeting to just sort of pray and really seek the Lord and ask him, saying, Lord, we aren't sure how to manage, how to navigate these circumstances, navigate the great things that you're doing in our community and in this church. And um, so just know we are thinking about it. We are aware um, of the limitations of your seating. <laughs> and we want to try and we're trying to help. You see new parking spaces that are on, under development. We're working hard to do that. And so join us, brothers and sisters, in prayer uh, for God to just give us, give us clarity and wisdom um, as we follow him. Um, we are in a study in the book of Acts. If you're a guest with us, um, I should have introduced myself. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, we are studying the book of Acts, and we are right in the middle of Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 32. Um, I should say in the middle, towards the end. 
Um, I now have about 24 minutes to cover 60 to 70 verses. And so uh, once again, we're going to go quickly. But um, as it happens, the, the, the scriptures are written to us and they um, are written to communicate a message. And sometimes if we are to divide those texts up, and we were to kind of cut them in half to fit them into a small place, we might miss all that God has for us. So I've got to try and condense this in and, and help us to see, I believe, what God is showing us through the end of chapter 9 and all the way through chapter 10. But as we finished last week, Luke is recording for us Paul's ministry. Paul's conversion is what we saw in Acts chapter 9. And at the end of where we left off in verse 31, um, Luke says about the church at this moment in time after Saul's conversion, that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church is growing. What we are experiencing in some ways as a city church here is that we are growing. We are walking in the fear of the Lord and being comforted by the Holy Spirit and we are multiplying. Well, this is exactly what was happening in the early days of the church. And this is what Paul, he's fled for his life twice, by the way, been threatened with his life that he's going to be killed, and yet the church is thriving. And so this persecution, this season of persecution for the church is coming to an end, as Luke records it, and there's this sort of season of peace. Well, as we pick up in verse 32, we're going to transition from the ministry of Saul, who would become Paul, and we're going to look back again at Peter. Luke's going to sort of turn his gaze and his focus over to what is happening in Peter's life and in Peter's ministry. Peter would experience the joy in ministry. He would experience the height. He's seen so much of what Jesus has done, obviously walking with him. And yet, as we're going to see in this text, that Jesus is going, or uh, Peter is going to miss all that Jesus is doing because of his pride, because of what he believes and his sort of preconceived uh, condition of his heart. And so if you're able, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, just to set the stage for Peter's life. If you're able, please stand as I read from God's holy word. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, who, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and they had washed her, they had laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would see in the story of Peter and his ministry and the challenge that you brought him to open up his eyes to the depth of his sinfulness and the depth of his uncleanliness, and yet your redemption in him, I pray that every soul in this room would realize the far-reaching power of your gospel, 
the mercy that you extend to us. That we would be people who would not look at the world through our flesh, but let us see others empowered by your Holy Spirit. Let us see what you see in them. Will we be bold in our witness to share the hope that we have received with all we encounter? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we see two healings occur here at the end of Acts chapter 9. We have Aeneas and Lydda and Tabitha and Joppa. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this text. But these are two, by the way, Gentile cities. Okay, so Peter has gone out. And the last time we were with Peter, by the way, he had gone to Samaria. He had gone to pray over these new converts that had been been, uh, led to Christ by Philip in Samaria. He had gone down as one of the apostles, Peter and John, to lay hands on them, to pray over them. And the Holy Spirit had had descended upon them. But now he's in these Gentile cities, and the church at the time had really been confined essentially as a Jewish sect. It was sort of known as a sect of Judaism because the gospel had only reached mostly Jewish communities. There was a few non-Jewish communities that had been reached, but for the most part, these were Jewish communities that had been converted to followers of Jesus. And they, they, but, but Luke records for us these two healings. Now, I believe one of the reasons that Luke gives us these is these healings are very reminiscent of two healings that Jesus did. And you see in both of these cases that what Peter attests to their healing to or he attributes their healing to is the power of Christ. He gives glory to Jesus and Jesus is glorified as the church once again multiplies after they see and understand that Jesus through Peter has healed them. The healings are again reminders or sort of look back to healings that Jesus performed. You may remember the paralytic who laid by the pool in Bethesda in John chapter five. Peter tells Aeneas to rise and make his bed. Jesus told the paralytic to rise and take up his mat and go. Aeneas was sitting in his house, so he didn't have anywhere to go. But just like Jesus had showed uh, the, the paralytic, he said, make your bed, get, stand up, live, do life. You have been raised up and healed. The healing of Jairus' daughter from Mark chapter 5 sort of reminds us of what Peter, in fact, Peter probably is remembering this healing that Jesus performed of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5 as he speaks almost the exact same words. Jesus told Jairus' daughter, little girl, literally, little girl, arise. Here he tells Tabitha, Tabitha, arise, using the exact same language that Jesus had used. And so Peter is testified through Luke's documentation that he is being used by God in powerful ways, even so powerful to raise people from the dead. This is how much God is at work through his ministry in in his life. But we're going to see there's a challenge with Peter. At the very end of this, we have this one verse in verse 43 that seems like maybe a throwaway and maybe just gives us a geographical, but it also helps us to understand all that is happening in Peter's life and what God is preparing Peter for. He's in a Gentile city. He's now performed healings. He's being used by God. And in verse 43, it says, and he stayed in Joppa after these healings with one Simon, a tanner. Tanners were ostracized by the Jewish community. They were looked upon with great disdain. In fact, they had to reside. There was laws about them having to reside far outside of the city. Do you know what comes with a tanner? Animal skins. Do you know what comes with animal skins? Animals, mostly dead ones. All right, this is, and so there, there was this, it was a filthy business. And so they were seen as unclean. And Peter, by the way, Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. 
I'm not going to do anything that Jesus wouldn't tell me to do. He's now residing with this tanner. Again, we see this story, and Luke is teaching us, showing us, as he records this for us, of this change that God is orchestrating in his heart. God is doing something in Peter, preparing him for what he's about to show us in Acts chapter 10. This is hopeful for all of us. I can tell you that this is hopeful for me because it shows us that God prepares us for the ministry that he gives us. Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus had seen Peter deny him three times. He had then restored him and promised him that he would build his church upon him. Jesus knew everything that he intended to do through Peter before Peter was ever aware of that. Isn't that amazing to think about in our own lives that Jesus is very aware of exactly where you are, exactly your circumstances, and understands exactly how he intends to use you in whatever relationships, in whatever place he sends you. We planted this church essentially based on that promise that if we, people of God, would take it to heart that God has placed us in this place, in this community, in the cities where we live, not because we have great school districts, but because he intends to use us with power to reach those who are far off from him, that's why he brought us here. And that, it's amazing to think about it when we, when we understand that, I get excited as you can tell about the ministry that Jesus has for us. And he has that for you. Jesus knows your past, friends. He knows your future. And I want you to be encouraged and trust that just as Peter, he's gonna use even your past circumstances, even those that might feel broken, just as we see here in Peter's life, to prepare you for the future ministry. Some of you know my story, but I grew up as a preacher's kid. A preacher's kid who saw that preacher abuse his mom. A kid whose family looked picture perfect on Sunday mornings. But I knew was not even close to that by Sunday afternoon. For a long time, I didn't care much for preachers. I didn't have any interest really in what they had to say. I obliged my beautiful and amazing mom and showed up to church with her, but I had no interest in what she had to say, they had to say. And now, here I am. As much as I thought it would be exciting as God was working in my heart and calling me to ministry, calling me to plant a church, I was so excited about going to one of our coasts, you know, those bastions of Christianity on the west and then the east. So excited to go to a place where people knew they weren't Christians and even rejected our faith. I felt that would get, that, that, that's what God has called me to do, to, to go to those places and preach the gospel. And then God called me to plant a church right here in Melissa, Texas. God called me to plant a church in the midst of a culture that's fallen prey to looking pretty on Sunday mornings when nothing could be further from the truth by Sunday afternoon. God called me to a place that we're obsessed with our presentation to the world. We're obsessed with our social media presentations and all the followers and the likes that we like. Meanwhile, the inward work of our hearts, we aren't really that, we aren't that careful of. I don't say that to rebuke you, friends. I say that to remind you or to teach you, to show you in my own life. God prepared me 
I'm intimately aware, aware of what that looks like. I'm intimately aware of the lies that Satan tells us to try and convince us that all that matters is what your neighbor thinks of you. Because I lived that life. I was raised in that life somewhat. And because of that preparation that was hard and that was broken and that I sometimes wish I didn't have to have, I believe God called me here as a messenger of hope to tell you, to proclaim to you and to all who might listen in this community that there's a better way, that there's a different way. God prepared me for the ministry that he would give me. And when I wasn't even interested in hearing from, about a preacher, didn't have any interest in ministry, in fact, rejected and delayed my calling to ministry for some years out of just saying, I will not do that. God knew what he intended to do. God knew how he intended to use my life and my ministry. And he placed me in a place where my hope is that this message would ring true and we might all be shaped by it. Peter would look back on the events that we are about to see in Acts chapter 10 and he might say, I believe, now I understand all that God was doing in my life. Now I understand even why of all the disciples, God would decide that Peter would be the one who would be tested to deny Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that Peter was the one that the little girl ran up to and said, you've been with Jesus? Because God said that that's exactly what should happen. Because God would use his rejection and his failure and then his restoration to empower him to do great works of ministry. He would use his whole story, all the failures of his past, God would use to make his name great through Peter's life in his future. He can do that for you. He's done that in my life. And I know that he's done that in many lives here as well. And so, Peter, we see this great power at work in his ministry. And then Peter receives a vision from God, a vision for what his ministry would become. Peter is hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house again on the outside of town where he can't really spend much time with all the carcasses and the animal skins. And he goes up to the rooftop to pray, it says in Acts chapter 10. He goes up to the house and as he's praying, he gets hungry Anyone else ever had a hard time praying, by the way? You're sitting there just bowing before the Lord and you just feel that rumbling in your stomach and you think, I'm hungry? D don't, don't allow the enemy to tell you that you're worthless because it happened to Peter, all right? So if it happens to Peter, it's going to happen to us. We get hungry. That's part of the fall, all right? And so Peter gets hungry. He's easily distracted. And so they start making lunch. And then Peter falls into this trance. The Lord leads him by the power of the Spirit into this trance. And he sees this vision. This is what it says for us in Acts chapter 10 if we jump down to verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey approaching the city, we're going to come back to who that they is, by the way. Peter went, Peter went up on the housetop of the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter says to God himself, I have never done anything that would be counter to your law. And the voice came to, again to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter, being stubborn as he is, that's not in the text. This happened three times to him. And the things were taken up at once to heaven. What was God saying to him? Peter, it says, was confused by this vision. He didn't at first understand what God was trying to show to him. That's probably why God did have to say it to him three different times. 
but he was about to find out. Cornelius is another character in this story. And Cornelius was also being prepared for something that God was going to do. Cornelius had ears to hear from God. You know, at the end of the parable of the sower, that famous parable, many of us know that parable of Jesus where he talks about seeds being thrown and the seeds fall in different places. The sower casts the seeds and there are some that fall on the rocky soil and some that fall on the good soil. Jesus explains that whole parable and the very last words of that parable, he says, he who hears, let him hear. He who hears, or excuse me, he who has ears, I can speak, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. Well, Cornelius was one who had ears and was able to hear from the Lord. And the reason that he was able to hear from the Lord is because the soil had been prepared by God. We must be ready to hear from God. I expect you're here in this place this morning. If you're a guest with us, you've never been a part of City Church, or maybe you've just kind of been checking us out for the last few weeks. You've been online. You came, decided to come in person, or, or maybe you're online right now checking us out for the very first time. If you're here, I trust that in some way God is preparing the soil of your heart to hear from him. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I hope is that the soil of your heart might be so tender that you would receive him today even. Cornelius was a man ready and eager to hear from God. It says about Cornelius that he was a commander in the Roman army. He was a non-commissioned officer of sorts. He wasn't an officer, but he had rule over a few hundred men, a large number of troops. And it says that he was a God-fearer. He says that he was a God-fearer. He was known as a God-fearer, and what this means is that he had found the Roman gods, Jupiter and Venus and all of those, lacking And he had come to believe in the God of Judaism, the God that he saw, the Jews that he had sort of rule over their territory. He saw them and he understood their worship. He didn't know that God personally, but he believed that that was the one true God. He became a monotheist in a sense. He also, because of this belief, he began to give, it says, generously. He gave alms to those. He gave generously to the Jewish community and he also prayed often. So we have a man who trusts or believes in this God. He at least acknowledges who the one true God is. He's giving to the poor. He's caring for his community. Very much like many in our world today, he was willing to acknowledge that God is real, that God is true, that there is one God, but he did not yet know how to follow God. He was not yet a true follower. He was just one who believed. He gave generously, but he didn't know what he gave to Again, God had prepared the soil of his heart for what he was about to do. And just like Peter had received a vision, if we back up to verse 3, I know you guys were thinking, oh, he skipped a bunch. Let's go. Nope. We're going to go back. If we look, pick up in verse 3, this is the vision that God gave to Cornelius about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers And your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, two different Simons, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Where I picked up in verse 9, this is the they who went to Peter, by the way. These men that Cornelius sends. 
So Cornelius is praying, and, he, and as he is praying, God hears his prayers. What a gracious God. Someone who has not yet put his faith in Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus, God hears his prayers. Cornelius hadn't even heard the gospel yet, friends, and God, the Father, is hearing his prayers. He's a good man with a sincere heart, and he wants to know God. And God reaches down and moves in his life. God, in his kindness, hears his prayers. If you've ever doubted God's kindness, let this story of Cornelius just be a reminder of God's love and his grace. Even one who was far from him, who did not know who he truly was, just sort of by osmosis had kind of picked up on some of the truths about God, God heard from him. Let us also be those of us who are Christ followers in the room. Let us be mindful of the Corneliuses in our life, those people who they aren't sure. We know that they don't exactly know who Jesus is. They're not following Jesus with their whole heart. And sometimes we so quickly cast them off and we think, ah, they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're not interested in anything I have to say. You never know what God is doing and how God might, again, be intending to use you to speak to a person like Cornelius. And so Cornelius hears from God, and as a good soldier, notice that Cornelius doesn't ask questions, proves the integrity of Cornelius, his sort of soldiering. He follows orders well. And so as soon as the angel leaves, he sends his servants to go to find Peter at Simon's house. Too often we second guess what God is doing, and we won't take that step of faith. Again, many of you are here this morning. My prayer and my hope is that God is speaking to you in some miraculous way, he is using this voice to speak to you. He's using his word to speak to you. Let this be just a calling on your life. Now is the time to do, to be willing to do what God is telling you to do. If you aren't sure you know Jesus this morning, if you believe in God, but you're not confident in what it means to be a Christ follower, I'm going to tell you at the end of our time that I'm going to be down front. A few of our elders are going to be down front. Some ladies will be down front. Come forward and have a conversation. Don't wait on that. Don't reject the work of the Holy Spirit that's kind of moving in your heart this morning. You're here. You're here for a reason. Why else would you be here? If you're here just to show off to your neighbor, 1 Corinthians 15 would say, we are a people most to be pitied. That is not where life is found. Life is found in Jesus alone. And you're here, and he's willing and ready to meet with you. And he's inviting you. I am inviting you. Come forward and let me tell you about the Jesus that I know. Come forward and let one of our elders, one of our ladies, talk to you about the Jesus that they know, that has redeemed them. Don't just sit be like Cornelius and say, yes, Lord, not yes, Ryan, not yes, whoever, not yes, neighbor, yes, Lord, I hear what you're speaking to me, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a conversation. And so Cornelius sends these soldiers, these people to go find Peter. Well, as we come back to the vision that Peter has been given, we see that God tells Peter to rise, kill, and eat, and Peter rejects that. This sheet that was coming down in Peter's vision that we see there in verses 10 through 16, this sheet that was coming down was held up by four strings in a sense in the vision, which were representative of the cardinal directions from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And the vision was a, this sheet that sort of um, symbolized the whole of the earth and everything in that on, that was sitting on that sheet, the reptiles and the birds and all those animals, they represented all of the uncleanliness of the world, all of the filth of the world there was nothing on the earth by the way 
that was being, being lowered down before Peter's eyes in this vision that would have been considered clean before a holy God. Of course, Peter looks at this filthy mess and he says, there's no way I'm going to eat any of that, Lord. No way I'm going to touch anything unclean. He's like Jonah when he refused to go to Nineveh. Do you remember what Jonah said to God? God tells him, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And what does Jonah do at the end of that? It says, yeah, he went down, he went to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He ran away from God so that he wouldn't have to be obedient to God. Peter says, I'm not going to touch any of that, Lord. And so God, who is holy and set apart, says to Peter, don't call anything that I have called clean, unclean. I want you to think about these circumstances. A man, Peter, turns up his nose to God and says, no. The Lord says three times, Peter, do this. Peter has to be told, as we've talked about many times, he's a little hard-headed. For all of us that are stubborn, Peter is a great example to us. Peter had a hard time understanding what God was saying to him, and yet he should have. Do you know why? Because Peter was just as unclean as anything else that was sitting on that sheet. Peter once was filthy before a holy and righteous God in the same way that every single one of us were filthy, unable to be called clean before a holy and righteous God. And yet... God, through Christ, had taken the filth of Peter's life and made him clean. God, in a miraculous way and in a way that only he can do, has taken the filth of my life and he has declared me to be clean. What did Jesus promise in John chapter 15 as he's telling the disciples to abide in him? He says to the disciples, you are already clean because you have heard my word. Jesus declares that they are clean. Jesus has declared that Peter is clean. He's declared that I am clean. The God of the universe, who would be right to say every single one of us are unclean and completely reject us all, says to Peter, don't reject those that I have called clean. God shows more grace, more mercy, more kindness than Peter himself in this moment. So Cornelius and his men arrive at Simon's house. They ask for Peter. And at the same time, Peter prompts, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, prompts Peter to go with these men who are asking for him. Thankfully, Peter listens to the Spirit. Notice what it says, picking up in verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Peter has arrived, or come down to meet Cornelius as he's come to the house. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Cornelius had heard about this God, had heard this, received this vision from an angel. So it was not crazy for Cornelius to think that whoever God was sending for him to go talk to probably could be an angel or could be God himself. And so he falls down on his feet. But Peter says, no, 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 no. I too am a man. And he talked with him and he went in and found many persons gathered. He found all of Cornelius' family gathered with him. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any other nation, anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call persons common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And in the following verses... 
Peter teaches them, shares the gospel with Cornelius and his household. And as Peter is preaching and sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are converted, they are raised to life. Do you remember what Jesus promised in Acts chapter one, verse eight? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Do you doubt that Jesus fulfills his promises anymore, church? We have walked through this text verse by verse, chapter by chapter, seeing exactly how Jesus accomplished his mission through these disciples. And now the Gentiles, those who would be considered again by anyone in the Jewish community as unclean and as Peter just declared, not even allowed to visit this household, now they too have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon them and they have become Christ followers. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, this message that he had proclaimed to them. And the believers from among the, uncir- among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even those far off from God. I'm long out of time, so I'm gonna, just gonna give you three things I wanted you to take away from this text. The first is, God uses flawed people to accomplish his purposes, friends. You're a little messed up, line forms to the left. Do not think that God can't use you. He used Peter. He used Peter who he had to tell three times that you're gonna deny me, three times to restore him, and now three times, hey, don't call something unclean that I've called clean. Don't doubt my power, Peter, to do whatever I intend to do is essentially what God was telling him. Peter had to be taught often by God. You're a little stubborn. You got a backstory. You got something in your life that says, no, I can't be used. God uses flawed people. You, know, wanna, you wanna know why God uses flawed people? Because it's not about your glory, it's about his glory. And when he uses us as flawed people, as broken people, he receives the glory that he deserves on the earth. Second thing, this is for all of you, any of you who aren't sure, those people that I have, I'm pleading with, come forward today. Come have a conversation with me about Jesus. I need you to know that believing in God doesn't save you. Acknowledging that God is real, acknowledging that all that creation testifies to, that there's a God who created this world, there's a God who is sovereign over this world, there's a God who orchestrates and moves in power. And work. Believing just simply in God does not save you. Cornelius believed in God. He believed in God, and yet... God said, I'm still, I need you to hear about my son, Jesus. And so I'm going to send my disciple, Peter, to come tell you the truth. He wasn't saved until he understood what Jesus had done for him. That Jesus had gone to a cross to satisfy God's right, justice, and holiness. The fact that he had to condemn evil. Jesus lived the life that we could not live and died the death that I and we all deserve because of our filthiness so that we might live and be declared by God as the righteousness of Christ, that we might live his life with him. We've got to, you've got to know about Jesus. You've got to understand what he has done for you. You've got to be willing to acknowledge, yeah, without Christ, I am filthy, even though I believe in God. No, follow Jesus. Believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you. 
That's what it means to be saved. Finally, God will accomplish his purposes and nothing can stop that. He'll correct Peter if he has to. He'll correct you and me if he has to. He'll make clean those who were otherwise unclean. He'll do that to the ends of the earth. His church is his church and therefore it is in very good hands. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus can use you to reach the Corneliuses in your own life, no matter what your past is. Believe that Jesus will build his church and nothing can stand against it. All of the physical things we see going on around us in some ways are beautiful reminders to me that in spite of our limitations, in spite of our inability to have everything that I wish we had to just love on you and welcome you in the space and the parking and da, 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 Jesus is building his church right here. And he's doing it in a beautiful and powerful way because that's exactly what Jesus does. So rejoice in that. As our worship team leads us, I just want to invite you as you're singing, or maybe you're not ready to sing, consider, do you know Jesus? And as soon as they're done, we'll be down front. And come, let's have a conversation. Stand and let's worship. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.